Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, it is a great day, and we're glad you're here this morning. Um, it's actually not raining, <laughs> at least for a little while. We'll see how long that lasts. I was talking to some guys earlier this week, and we were just kind of having a time of just sharing some things, and I told them that my gut conviction as, as a person, as a Christian, as a pastor of this church, is that I wish that I could get every single one of us to realize and grasp that God loves you. I mean, we, we sang that this morning, we talked about a pursuing God, and that is just so important, it's something that I think is so missing often in our world today. He always has, He always will, and, and there is nothing you or I can do to stop Him from loving you. But that's not the end of it, because He loves you so much that He is relentlessly pursuing you, that He will never stop or give up on you. He, he will never slow down. That is his, his desire, the desire of His heart. And that's great news, and that's why we celebrate that in worship every single Sunday. And it's also my conviction that when we really grasp this truth, it will absolutely fundamentally change our lives. One of the, our biggest problems for those of us who are Christians is that we forget this. And that is why, I think, in part, the church, the body of Christ, comes together on the first day of each week to remember and, and celebrate so we can carry this truth with us through this whole week as, as other messages around us tell us different things that we can continue to, to latch onto that and claim that and proclaim it. In fact, it's such great news that we want to tell those closest to us about this good news in, in Christ. And many of you have invited and, and brought friends and family to our church over the years. But God calls us to go further. And he uses the story of Jonah to help us see this. Now again, Betsy kind of alluded to this. For many of us, our first thought when we hear the, uh, uh, Jonah is he's the guy who was swallowed by the big fish, okay? And, and, and the truth is, though, if you really look at the book of Jonah, that's not a big part of the message of the book of Jonah. It's simply a, an instrument of God's that, that plays a bit part in a much bigger story. Now, Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who reigned as king over the northern kingdom of Israel, between 782 and 753 B.C. And God used Jonah to help Israel expand its borders after an, a period of oppression by the Arameans who lived in the area of what we would today call Syria. Even though Israel was not particularly living faithfully, we read about Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. It says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, that is, the southern kingdom, centered around Jerusalem, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, a different Joash, king of Israel, began, that's the northern kingdom, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet it says, he restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath 
as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefner. But the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under the heavens, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. That's the only reference we have to Jonah, really, outside of the book of Jonah, the, the, the book. But it tells us that Israel, in this period while Jeroboam was king and and was being prophesied to by Jonah, had expanded its northern borders to to kind of the furthest extent under King Solomon 200 years earlier. It reached kind of back to that level. And 2 Kings says King Jeroboam did this through the prophetic work, God's prophetic work in Jonah. So Jonah... What we need to know is he was a significant and, in fact, successful prophet of his day who had already demonstrated faithfulness to the Lord by the time we get to the the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. He'd been successful in working with the home crowd there in Israel. But as we'll see, when God, God calls him to go out from Israel... And not speak just to the Israelites anymore, but to speak to people who aren't connected to him and his people, suddenly he's not so gung-ho. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, uh, or you can use the Version Bible app, or you can pull out the notes that are in your bulletin that have the scripture there listed for you. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read the first two verses. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The scripture tells us Nineveh was a great city, uh, probably had over 100,000 residents in the powerful nation of Assyria. And and to locate it, just kind of here's a map of of this part of the world, and Spain, Rome, Greece, uh, modern-day Turkey here, that Nineveh was located, in fact, is located in what is today Mosul in Iraq, although at that time it was under the, the leadership or, uh, of, of the Assyrians, an empire that was in this part of the world and was spreading. It had been more powerful down in this area, but, but it was having some internal struggles and not doing as well as it had, and so uh, their influence wasn't as great as it had been. A half century later, Assyria will be used by God to, in fact, conquer Israel because their sins, the sins of Israel have continued to grow. But right now, God wants to send Jonah to prophesy against Nineveh because of the extent of evil occurring there, bringing to mind really kind of what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah over a thousand years earlier. Jonah had spoken what God had told him to his own king, Israel's king Jeroboam II, within the borders of his own land. But now, We've got to understand that Jonah is now, God is commanding Jonah to not stay in his homeland and speak to his home people, but to go to Nineveh, to speak to a different people that have no connection to his nation and, and in fact, are non-Jewish. So it says in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, we don't know for sure. Again, just looking at the map, we don't know for sure, but we believe Tarshish is located over here in southern Spain. And you, you see kind of a route here, but that's, that's just kind of made up by the map drawers. We don't really know exactly what, what happened here. But we do know that, that instead of going this way to Nineveh, probably having to go around here through the Fertile Crescent, he's going this way. So he's kind of going in the opposite direction of where God is calling him to go. The text says he's trying to escape from the presence of the Lord. And now, probably that does not mean that he believed that he could somehow completely escape God and God's reach. But it may have been that he thought he was, was leaving, going far enough away that God would then pick someone else other than him to go to Nineveh. While other nations believed that their God was the God of their nation or their land or their place, the Jews had been told from the very beginning by the Lord God himself that he was the God of all creation. He was not bounded by by country borders or, or things like that. And the Lord God had chosen Israel. He had already told them to be a light to the nations, to work in and through Israel, to reveal himself. He told them, you are the least of people, and I have chosen you. But the Jews largely thought of the Lord God as just their God. So what Jonah does seems a bit ridiculous. And, and most of us already know the story well enough to know that he, he wasn't successful. And yet, in much the same way, for those of us who are Christians, we often envision God as just being for the, the people who trust God, for the, for the Christians. But as Jesus made it very clear, God always has had a bigger plan. Jesus said, as he was wrapping up his mission here on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, it's, is it possible that, that while we think Jonah is foolish to think that he can run away from God and his plan and his purpose for Jonah, that maybe we're kind of in the same place? That those of us who are followers of Christ, who are Christians, can get comfortable with our Christian friends. And we can even point to a couple of successes that we've had of inviting a close friend to church who came and maybe even is, is attending. But have we failed to see the full extent of, of where and, and to whom God is calling each of us to reach to? See, Jesus commanded all of his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, of everyone we encounter. But the question is, are some of us going in some other direction? And if so, are we in fact finding ourselves trying to get away from God? Are we forgetting that, that the God who relentlessly sought us through others you know, you could ask somebody, what, how did you come to know Christ? And most, most of the time we can point to an individual. We can point to a person who had a profound influence in our lives. And it's usually not a preacher, by the way. It's usually 
somebody like you. It's somebody who is just going about their life and God uses them. But are we straining our relationship with God because we're not allowing him to work through us to those beyond us? And, 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 and it's actually, as was in the case of Jonah, disobedience. Is our failure to be salt and light to those around us, in fact, a sin against God? Let's see where it gets Jonah as he tries to get away from God and God's plan. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind from the sea upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the the ship threatened to break up. Then the the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The the ship encounters this great storm that's, that's overwhelming these experienced sailors. They're afraid, the Scripture says, and they start praying to their own gods, and and they toss overboard the cargo of what they're carrying to lighten the ship to increase their chances. Yet in the midst of all this, Jonah's just down below asleep. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, the captain isn't probably at this point singling out Jonah and, and saying that his God must be the, the God of uh, the, the important God or the all powerful God. He just wants everyone to be searching and seeking out any God that they have connection to to try to help save them, their ship, and their lives. And the sailors figure the more gods that they can contact and call upon, the better the chance they'll have of reaching one of them who can do something about their situation. And then they decide to see if they can determine the cause of the storm, so they know better how and to whom to pray. Verse 7, so they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And the sailors believe that with this lot falling on Jonah, he knows something about what they're going through. So they're questioning him. Verse 9, and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Now, again, when you see the Lord there in, in, in uh, small caps as, uh, or all caps like that, he's using the name of God. It, it's not a generic name. It is the name of God. Uh, the God of heaven, he says, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, What is this that you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he'd told them. And and by identifying his God as as the God who, he said, made the sea and the dry land, Jonah's telling them, Hey, my God is powerful. He is powerful over all the ocean. And, And he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and they immediately see this is their problem. So verse 11, they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this greatest, great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, it's interesting. These non-believing sailors 
turned out to be more honorable than Jonah. And even though Jonah says he's the problem and they, they should throw him into the sea, they row harder. They're, they're trying to save him. They're trying to do what's right. And it strikes me as odd. I mean, he says, you should throw me in the ocean. And I'm thinking, well, Jonah, why don't you jump in the ocean? Duh. I mean, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a stretch. But instead, he, he says, no, you're going to have to do that. And he allows the sailors to try to save them. When he understands, or he says he does, it's on his power to save them. Finally, the sailors decide the Lord God has led them to their next actions. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. And they're using God's name here that they had not used before, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So obviously Jonah was right, because as soon as they throw him in, the sea calms. I mean, what an incredible experience that had to have been to, to be. I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat when it's really tossing and, and all and going kind of crazy. That stuff doesn't just stop right then and there. I mean, it doesn't just happen like that. And yet all of a sudden, things are calm. And, and there's... And, and, and the sailors know it, and they're instantly in awe of the Lord God, and they offer a sacrifice to Him. And sadly, that's all we know that they did. There's nothing here in the text that indicates they repented, or they changed their lives, or their gods by this experience. They experienced a miracle, but Jonah, a prophet, a guy who was supposed to be good at talking about God, this prophet doesn't tell him anything about his God. He doesn't point to God. He doesn't, he doesn't give them any information. You know, often God opens a door for us to experience something amazing that he's done in our life, and, and others notice, and, and they say, wow, that's amazing. And yet we fail to, to see that experience as anything more than just a blessing to ourselves. We fail to understand that, that when God blesses us, we are blessed to be a blessing. That when God works in our lives, when he does something wonderful or even miraculous, it's not simply for us. It is to be used as a testimony for others. In fact, we may not experience God working as often as he would if we keep the focus on ourselves. When God gave us the, the experience as an opportunity to be a witness for him to others. And that's a challenge for those of us who follow Christ is to see our lives through a very different lens as an instrument that God wants to use to show himself through us. I mean, remember, Jesus said, you, talking to his followers, you are the light of the world. It was always his intention to use us to work through us. And yet, as we see in the case of Jonah, he didn't do it. And in fact, his disobedience affected others, including those who didn't believe in his God. God has, has placed us in the midst of, of people all around us. It, it's not like i got to go hunting for people who, who aren't believers or who don't 
think God is important in their lives. Every single one of us has those circles of, of, of connection, whether it's at work or in our neighborhood or at school or whatever it may be. It's an opportunity to be a witness. And when we fail to do that, when we disobey, Scripture shows those around us may in fact suffer for that. Now, I'm not saying God can't bring salvation into their lives in some other way. But in that moment when we have the opportunity to act and we don't act, then God allows consequences to play out as they are. And it may affect not only us, but those around us negatively. I mean, look at these sailors. You know, we, we forget the sailors. These sailors had done nothing wrong. And they suffered through this terrible storm. Imagine their fear, wondering if they were going to survive. They didn't know the outcome, and, in, and they lost their whole cargo. All that was thrown overboard. They thought they were going to die, all because Jonah, Jonah, the prophet, the one who followed God, was disobedient. You know, many people think Christianity is about helping people avoid committing obvious sins. It's the thou shalt not. And sometimes people say, well, I'm pretty good. I haven't done that. I've only broken, I've only, I've only broken two of the Ten Commandments. I had, God ought to be pretty happy about that. Uh, no. But the truth of the matter is, as we go on this journey as disciples of Jesus, increasingly the journey is not so much about not doing the wrong things, which tend to be easier to identify. And it's more about not doing the right things, about not loving when we have the opportunity to love those around us. What, what has been called sometimes sins of omission versus sins of commission. James, the brother of Jesus, said, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. I mean, we get, we get caught up in, well, I haven't done anything wrong. But Scripture is clear that for those of us who follow Jesus, the, the bigger test is, have I done what's right? Have I done what he is calling me to do? Ha have I been of use to him? Have I served him? And that's exactly what Jonah's being confronted by. And sadly, we really don't get any sense of repentance from Jonah. Really, all we get is resignation. Here's this prophet who has witnessed and experienced God's amazing work in and through him, and yet he, here in this case, what God wants him to do is something he doesn't want to do, that going to take him out of, beyond his comfort zone, and he finally reluctantly will go along, really because he has no other choice, and not because he's sorry or sorry for his disobedience or sorry that he, he can't be used by God to reach others and what he's cost others by even failing to do the right thing. Folks, that's why we believe this ongoing journey of discipleship is so important. That's why we, we have said we have made a sea change, if you will, in who we are as a church and, and it's not a huge change, but it's, it's the same. While we want to continue to reach those who are far from God, 
We want to not just simply reach them. We want to grow them up to maturity to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand who a disciple is and what a disciple is about and what it means, we don't have any target to aim for. It's why we do these classes about basic discipleship because God is calling us us in particular right here to unleash his unconditional sacrificial love into our families and schools, into our workplaces and communities, and become more like Jesus. And that's the only way we can do it consistently and naturally. It doesn't just happen. I mean, here's Jonah. He's a prophet for heaven's sake. If anybody ought to be doing it, you would think he's the guy. And yet, what do we see? He's the worst example, just about. In fact, the pagans, the unbelievers, or the believers who believe in other gods, are more gracious than Jonah. It's not just about avoiding doing the wrong things, but intentionally doing the best and right things. And sharing the love of God is that ultimate good. Because it's the only thing that can help a person discover eternity with God. See, Jonah's been this prophet in a setting that was comfortable for him. He's with his own people. But when God opened the door for him to go beyond those like him, beyond what was easy for him, beyond his immediate circle, he rebelled. He tried to run away and endangered everyone on the ship. Now, the thing is, God's not finished with Jonah you know the story, and he still intends to use him, whether Jonah likes it or not. And so when they, they throw him overboard, God's already prepared a way to get him back to dry land. Verse 17, and the, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And again, as Betsy mentioned, we, we tend sometimes to get hung up here. Well, what kind of fish was it? Was it a fish or was it a mammal? Because it was really a whale. Well, we don't know. In fact, it's amazing how little Scripture says. And when Scripture is, doesn't say a lot about something, it usually means it's not a big deal. It's kind of a non-issue. There's no description of what the fish is, how big it is, how he could survive in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But here's the thing. If we're looking at a God here who can raise up a storm instantaneously and then stop a storm instantaneously. Don't you think he can bring a big fish nearby or he can create a fish for that single purpose or he can protect a person like Jonah during his time inside the fish? That's really not the point. The point here is that God, who spoke all of creation into existence, is in control and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, however he wants, to accomplish his purposes. And his decision, his choice was to use Jonah. And his decision and his choice is often to use you and me. Chapter 2 goes on to say, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And and as you read through chapter 2, you see the, the prayer... His prayer didn't affect God so much as it awakened in Jonah that God was in charge and, and, and there for him. And though we still never actually see Jonah repenting of his actions, he does come around to God's plan to at least some degree, 
and some sense of gratitude for God saving him. Because we jump to verse 10 and it says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And we'll pick up right there next week with Jonah. But this, but this first part of the story asks us, I believe, to examine our own lives. In fact, to say, how much am I like Jonah? How much am I comfortable in my setting and comfortable and don't I see people who are hurting and I see struggles and I see people who need to know that God loves them but I'm coming to church and maybe I'm reading my Bible and God ought to be good with that see do we have a Nineveh in our lives, a person or a place God is calling us to, to be used by him in their lives that we avoid, that in fact we even go in the opposite direction. And yet as we'll see, God is relentless in his pursuit of of that person, whomever that is in your life, and of every person, not just the easy ones are the ones that we can readily identify. And God is willing, as we'll see, to do all the heavy lifting. If we'll just be faithful and obedient to the opportunities, he opens around us. Andy Stanley at North Point Church in, in, in Atlanta routinely tells his church family that, that they should be looking for three cues for people who might be most open to Christ in their lives. And and accept an invitation to, to come to church or to be involved in a small group or something. He says, the, the first one is when they say, things aren't going well. He says, that's a cue that people will be open to new possibilities. Second, he says, I wasn't prepared for when something happens in their life and they, and, and they, they feel like they weren't ready for it. That's an opportunity. That's, it's like them, it's almost like God is speaking through them to you and saying, hey, here's your chance. And finally, I'm not from here. New people, people who are looking for a place, for a group of people to fit in, to find a place. Who is it right now in your life who needs to experience the love of God? And how does God want you to share that love and grace in their life. That's really, I think, a big part of the question that Jonah is is asking you and me. To step out of what's comfortable and, and instead of running to Tarshish, to know that we have the opportunity to join in his work, to be used by him for the sake of someone who is lost or hurting or struggling or looking for answers. And it doesn't mean you beat them over the head with your Bible, but just love on them and come alongside them and tell them your story. You may be amazed. You may think there's no way, there's no crack in this person's armor. But as we'll see as we go through Jonah, God is already at work in every person that you will encounter. And he's giving you an opportunity to be a part of his work. 
So if there's somebody you need to think about or pray about, I hope that you will. Maybe write their names down. If you need to talk with our prayer team, they're going to be down here, down front in just a moment, and they'd love to pray with you. And if you're a guest with us today or you brought a guest with you, I hope you'll take a moment and say hello. I'll be out here and over out these doors with some friends, and we'd love to just say hello. We have a little gift for you that we'd be happy to, to share with you for joining us today. So let's close and just ask God to open our hearts, okay? Gracious God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Not because Jonah was great example. But Jonah shows us you and how much you care and how much you love the least, the last, the lost, everyone. There's no exception. And, and while many of us have discovered that and found that love to be true, you call all of us to some kind of a Nineveh, some place that's not comfortable, to somebody that, that maybe doesn't seem open. And yet you will provide the opportunities if we are just watching. Help us, Father, to have a different heart, the heart that you give us in Christ through his spirit, rather than the heart of Jonah, that you might use us in whatever situation or circumstance you open up later today or tomorrow or this week. Help us, Father, to look for that opportunity this week, we pray in Jesus' name. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.